Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. All right, we're back at the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with your host, Keith Lowell Jensen. This show, by the way, is presented by Keith Lowell Jensen. Uh, Oh, so great to be back again another week, and I'm super excited, as I always am. Eventually, I'll run out of guests that I'm super excited about, but I haven't gotten there yet. I'm interviewing all of my favorite people, and it's wonderful. Today, I've got Kat Alyoshin. Kat Alyoshin has worked as a director, producer, and in special effects on numerous blockbuster stop-motion projects, including The Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach, and Corpse Bride. Her most recent production, however, uh, was Animation Outlaws, a documentary that she herself made following the rise of Spike and Mike's Festival of Animation, which brings me to our other guest. You're getting a twofer tonight, the subject of Kat's documentary and a dear friend of mine, a giant in the animation game, the man who gave Butthead of Beavis and Butthead his name, a man who first introduced American audiences to Mike Judge, Nick Park, John Lasseter, Don Hertzfeld, and so many others from Spike and Mike's Festival of Animation, the one and only Spike Cat and Spike, how are you guys? Wow, that was a great, yeah, great intro. Thank you. Oh yeah, you're welcome. I I think you wrote it. I got, <laughs> I go pilfer off the internet what I can find. Let me uh, first tell uh, everyone at home about our great sponsor, Clash Books. Clashbooks.com is where you can find all the great stuff. They right now are pushing Born to be Public by Greg Mania, and I'll actually have Greg Mania on the show next week, so check that out. Uh, A great book. I'm about three-quarters of the way through it, and just uh, some really fun uh, depictions of of a life outside of the one you're probably living. You ever been a club kid in New York uh, during the early 2000s or, um, you know, uh, yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> they're also the publishers of In Defense of Ska by Aaron Carnes, who has been on the show. So uh, go grab those and other great books now with Christmas coming up. Did I mention Christmas is coming up? Buy my merch. Buy my guests merch. And yes, I love me some Christmas. As an atheist, I don't feel weird about loving Christmas at all. I discussed this at length on Atheist Christmas, which is on Prime right now if you want to go watch it for free. But it'll suffice to say most Christmas traditions predate Christmas and partying in the middle of winter is just a thing. It's always been a thing. It's a thing I grew up with. It has a warm, nostalgic place in my heart. So we do it upright in my house. We break out the dreidel too. Uh, We'll light some little candles. Whatever you have, we'll celebrate it. We'll do it. Let's party. I don't worry about it too much. So Merry Holidays. Um, You know, I used to give friends and family Spike and Mike Festival of Animation videos for Christmas uh, every year. And I had so many of these because Spike would pay me in Festival of Animation merch when he needed me to go pick up dog poop at whatever hotel we were staying at. uh, Or when he wanted me to sit in the car alone for hours while he was on a date um, because he didn't drive. So Merry Christmas, uh, Spike and Kat. Um, Spike, you remember that? You remember paying me in videotapes to go pick up Scotty's poop? No, not, I remember paying you in that, but not for poop. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I gotta say one thing. I, I'm not an atheist, but I can't stand Christmas. So I decided to reply to that. Your okay, good. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Spike. Yeah. Um, you know, I figured you'd be a Grinch. I knew that. I knew that about you. Yeah, you would, you would never come right out and say, Hey Keith, I'll give you two videos to go pick up the poop. Rhonda, remember Rhonda in Santa Cruz, our landlady? Oh, kind of. There have been so many, you know. 
she'd be banging on the door at like seven in the morning. Spike, there's poop. There's poop, Spike. And oh, you'd say, oh, that's, that's oh, raccoon God. poop. And she'd say, that's not raccoon poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And then you'd say, Jensi, go pick it up. And i go, no, I'm a flyer guy. I'm not a dog poop guy. And well, all right, what do you want? And I, if I didn't get videotapes, I would get spike bucks, which were tickets to the festival. And these were great because uh, you could trade them for burritos, CDs. Yeah, you you did it too. That's what I thought we were pulling one over with the spike bucks. I didn't know that you knew that we did that. And then I go out to lunch with you, and you're doing that, and that totally cracked me up. Yeah, I actually went. Uh, I went in San Francisco. I went. I, I wanted to see how many days I could go without spending a dollar. So I went one week solid on spike bucks, and that was like <laughs> bars, restaurants, t-shirts, parking pastries everything <laughs> that's so great just whoever's working there you go hey you ever heard of spike and mike and of course in san francisco they have yeah so i went a whole week with that so um spike i want you to tell me what what was the original mellow manor oh wow oh the original one was on 4970 magnolia avenue how's that for memory and, and what was it? it was a house um that i rented you can hear me okay still, right? Because I'm we, still. We can hear you great, Spike. All right. Well, I got this this mask thing on because, you know, I can sense the virus lingering. Because, um, no, so it was the first house I rented, and um, that's where Mike showed up, and I rented out the rooms there. It was a, um, it was a house there on Magnolia, and it had stairs that came out of the ceiling. And pulled back up, and so Mike came one time and rented the attic, and so that was the first Mellow Manor. And then was that how you met Mike? Uh, yeah, he came there because we were pretty notorious. Because I was in a band, I did bass vocals in a band called Sterno and the Flames. And you guys were like Shauna Knob at Raunchier, if is my oh really really greasy, really greasy, nice. <laughs> when you know we had a yeah, I mean we had like. We were loved by arch criminals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, no, it was hardcore band. It was a hell of a party. And um, so I had an advertisement out for, and Mike came and he knew the band and he was really unhinged and really, really bad. And, yeah, uh, I mean, Mike's a weird guy. What was your first impression of him? This is, we're talking about Mike Gribble, the, the Mike and yeah. Spike and Mike. And, in a minute, I'll tell you about the second, the Mellow Manor, the big Victorian we rented. That's kind of funny. Um, he was just really crazy. I mean, he was really in need of uh, some what do you, psychiatric or psychological uh, prescriptions that weren't available at the time. Okay. So we and, think of him as, as pleasantly crazy, but you're saying he was a little more. Well, he was, I mean, he was just unhinged i mean i saw him see him do all kinds of stuff i've seen him you know get arrested i've seen he just he didn't know there was no limit and there was he wasn't affected by anything it was water off a duck's back and (laughs) there was no line in the sand ever just zero so i rented him the attic but that's the first time and then he came to a party with sterno and the flames was having and he came dressed as a clown and he had he had mirrors on his shoes, and he was so obnoxious. He was looking up girls' dresses, so the band members, everybody was so um, offended, or what's the word, just so repulsed by his, his behavior. 
uh, they actually threw him out, literally picked up by the thing, and I didn't really know him then, but he, so they threw him out, and then eventually, I guess later on he rented the rented the room from me, and then he was working at B. Dalton oh, book, Bookstore at the time. And you didn't realize it was the same guy? No, I, I didn't, because he had the makeup <laughs> on and all that stuff. So he rented the, the attic, and then uh, okay. I rented then, out all, all the rooms there, and then... Uh, and you guys were students at UC Riverside or uh, RCC Riverside City College. Oh, okay. So we'd get over there and uh, yeah, we'd have parties and then uh, pretty notorious stuff. And then we'd go over there. And I mean, Christ, we was like, I don't know. I think I first rented the place when I was just turned twenty. And so you know, we were over there meeting girls and pretending to go to class and things like that. And, so I've uh, heard stories about an illegal screening of the movie Deep Throat. Does, yeah, that was uh, any the, recollection? That was the demise of the manor. We became so notorious that the the cops would sit outside and surveillance our. It wasn't any serious crime. We were just like party house, and then the second manor became Animal House, and so they had all these. You know, we had such characters coming and going. They thought that we were like some kind of crime guys, and it was just <laughs> party guys, you know. And so we, I had a friend that worked at UCR Riverside, and he was head of the film society. So he rented the film Deep Throat in 16 millimeter. Nice. And got a projector and came to the house. And, you know, again, everybody they're watching was an adult, everybody's over 18, you know. And there was about 14 of us there. And so everybody chipped in a buck so we could buy, like, beer and popcorn. And so there were these local cops that were notorious vice and narcotics guys. And they had heard about it because we was at Riverside City College, had a police uh, cadet academy there. And the word got out and somebody snitched us off. So, of course, they go, oh, here's our big chance to go get this, (laughs) you know. And so we're in there. We don't have the film. We're not showing the film yet. And these two guys come up to the door. And I don't know them. I'm looking at them. And I, I'm really good. And it's why I'm good at flyering. I'm really good at sort of as, as the term making people. So okay. I wa- I'm looking at these guys. And I'm watching their dress and their behavior and everything. And they're talking. And they're doing stuff like, um, uh, there's a movie tonight, right? And, and we were going to bring our old ladies and watch it. <laughs> and, and all this vernacular, and then I saw their shoes, and uh, then I leaned over to Mike, and I whispered, I said, these guys are cops, Mike, tell them the film didn't show up, and we said, yeah, the film didn't show up, and then, oh, we'll come back later, you gentlemen, take it easy, and I go, boom, give yourself, there's a f- icing on the cake, gentlemen, so we went ahead, showed the film, everybody had a great time, popcorn, and a and, and bunch of young people. And so Mike and I left to go out. That sounds so wholesome. That's the most wholesome screening of pornography ever. Really? And (laughs) so we we go to this bar, we come back, and um, the house is ransacked. And at that time in Riverside, you'd have a party and people would come and they'd they'd scope out, you know, your house and come back and rob you later. And I go, Mike, we've been robbed again. And I, because the doors and glass is broken, I go, wait a minute, they wouldn't steal the people, too. (laughs) I'm like, wow. (laughs) 
So just then the phone rang and this girl, Zelma, said, we're all down here in the lockup. And they raided the house. Oh, wow. And but so you they, and Mike weren't there. You, you right. the ringleader so got, got away with it. 14, there were 14. They got 12. So Mike and I took it on the lamb. And Mike, <laughs> um, I'll finish this story. It's, uh, so Mike goes out, and uh, I had some friends that were kind of, um, I don't know, they were kind of like, kind of biker guys, and they had a house downtown. And I went over to their house, and because they were cops, were always coming by looking for them for like alimony or child support or some damn thing, you know. Right. So they created a bookcase that would slide off to the side and go down the stairs in the basement. So they just said, "You can, you can stay here." So I literally went underground, and Mike uh, was going into the Press Enterprise to sell this Volkswagen he had, and one of the cops saw him walking in there, one up behind him in that thing where they have the handcuff open, and they, they flip them over your wrist, you know? Right. And he snuck up behind him, boom, so they got Mike. So that just leaves me, and I'm literally, I'm literally underground. <laughs> Living behind a bookcase. Right, in, in the basement. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I called Steve Harmon, who's in the documentary, and Steve's a great, great uh, criminal defense attorney, legendary in Riverside. He goes, he, he started breaking it down. He goes, do they have a warrant? They, I told him, yeah, and the warrant was for a theater. So they lied and they said it was, a, they were raiding the Pussycat Theater. So they said it was a movie theater, number okay. one. So under a false premise, they got the warrant. And so then we're getting into free, you know, First Amendment issues. And also, each room was numbered and rented in individually as an apartment complex. So they would have had to have the specific oh, situation. Wow. And Mike had a bunch of what we called at the time lids. And so they went after Mike for that. And um, I, Steve said, let, let me handle this. And so I had a gun at the time because I collected antique guns at the time. And I told Steve, they took my gun. And it's totally legal. And he goes, let me handle this. Stay underground. Calls me back and he goes, uh, I talked to him and uh, uh, we have no more interest in your client. And I, <laughs> and I go, what about my gun? He goes, well, go down there and get it. I go, what do you mean? Go down the desk and get it. And this, this is, again, this, this isn't today. This is back in the day. So right. I literally, this is a true story. I walk in there. It's a legal gun and I, I'm of age. And I go, you guys have my gun. And Steve Harmon said, come and get it. And the cop brings it out. And he hands it to me. And I go, well, do you have like a something I can put it in? So he gets a paper bag. <laughs> so he puts it in a paper bag and hands it to me. Because <laughs> you don't want to take a gun in your hand right. and then just be walking out of right. the police department with a gun in your hand. That's exactly. not a good look. Exactly. And, so Mike- and also, for, for anyone listening at home that doesn't know, you're like, what, six foot three? Six four, six five, yeah. Oh, you're that okay. I mean, you're a big guy, and at the time, right. you got you know your your long greaser hair, and right, right, right. Um, you're you're the kind of guy a cop notices, is what I'm getting at. Oh, absolutely. And then I so Mike gets arrested, and he's down in in and Mike Mike, you know, parents had money, and mine didn't. So there's another social difference in between the two of us. A lot of people didn't know, and. um he, his parents hired these really these hotshot lawyers, and and they went down there and did the same thing. They they got him bailed out, and they dismissed it on court. And so that was the demise of the first 
mellow manner. And then I'll tell you real quick, real quick on the second. Let me, let me ask, did, did you guys get expelled for that? From the house? I, I had heard a rumor that, because again, when I worked for you, we all sat and rumored about you guys and gossiped about you guys all the time. And the rumor was that you guys got expelled from college for showing no. people. No, no it wasn't, you just it was, you just got yeah. evicted. Yeah, no, because it was on our own. It wasn't on on campus property okay. at all. All right, um, we just lived it. So we go. We're going to get out of this place. It's too hot. So over behind the school, there's this big, huge Victorian house, huge, fourteen rooms, and it's been abandoned, empty. I go, wow. So I find the owner of the thing. It's this wealthy architect, and. I go in there and I go, well, you rent the thing. He goes, he goes, you want to rent that thing? And again, I'm like 22 years old. And so I'm like hippie hair and everything. And he's like, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll rent you the house for $250. Oh, and I, what I, year is this? Uh, probably uh, had to be in the late 70s something. Okay. And so that's so, still crazy cheap for a big house. Oh yeah, at fourteen rooms, and he goes, nice. "I won't, I won't uh, raise your rent ever." But he goes, "You, you're here on the first of the month. You pay this lady right here." He goes, "I don't, not, not the second, but the first. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear about this is broken." He goes, "If it's too hot, tough. Too cold, the door falls off. Tough. It leaks." There's a weird, you know, the wind comes in, the roof stays <laughs> in. I don't care, but I will leave you alone and I won't raise rent. I'm shaking hands. So that's how I rented the second. That became Mellow Manor. And then I'd rent out all 14 rooms. And that's how I survived because I had money from the rent and I stayed rent free for, I think, eight years. I never paid rent or utilities in eight years and then rented all the rooms because it was by this car. So not, not working has been an art form that you have. Uh, been a master of for a long time yeah i'm not getting up early i mean that was <laughs> that's the goal is to sleep in oh yeah the early the early is, is yeah that's the worst how uh okay so now we've got the the two major players together you and mike are living in the same house so now how does uh spike and mike become spike and mike oh wow um like what's the what's the short version? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll break it real quick. He was. Um, I started the band broke up, and I promoted for the band, and we were showing uh, animation with the band in sixteen millimeter behind the stage with what Max, kind of stuff? Max Fleischer, Betty Boop, Superman stuff like that. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah, classic. Yeah, great, great stuff. So. That broke up, and then we met this guy named Phil Alexander, and he was doing midnight rock shows like Jimmy Plays Berkeley, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Rolling Stones, and right. showing showing shorts in front of the features. So he heard about us, and then so we worked for him and promoting that, and I did that first because I was promoting before I met Mike. And the first thing I did I, in Riverside with my parents' house on Rochester Street. There was this kid lived up the street. Um, I mean, you want to hear this stuff. This is pretty interesting. His name is Gerald Katz. And uh, he, uh, we were just little boys and we do these carnivals in his backyard. We create all these little things with balls and you knock them over in the street. Right, right. People would pay like a quarter, you know, and we'd both end up making like, 
you know, like a dollar seventy-five each. Wait, and know? how old were you when you were doing that? Oh man, really, really young. Well, this when you were a kid. Yeah, just a kid. Oh, that's great. On the bicycles, we'd ride around the bicycles. So Gerald Katz, that's the first thing I did. And then later on, his brother Kenny, I believe, was involved in uh, some of the anti-Vietnam stuff. And he was helping people with counseling on that. So anyway, that's the first thing I did. And then I have the band. I promoted for the band, learned a promotion there. And then the band broke up and Phil Alexander. Then I was working for Phil for a couple of years. Then Mike... Uh, he asked us to promote a, a animation festival, a turn a, not a turn a, a kind of celebration or whatever the hell they called okay. it in Laguna beach. We promoted it, sold the son of a bitch out big time. And so we'd already been showing a lot of animation. And so we went to this woman in uh, Los Angeles creative film society and she liked us and she was knowledgeable. And so she started educating us on, uh, animated short films and helping us get films from like Pyramid Films and, and Paul Driesen and Marv Newland and people like that. And so she exposed us some of the more artistic films. And so I asked Mike if he wanted to help me and we'd rent RCC, Landis Auditorium, and do our show ourselves. And we didn't have the money to do it, so we borrowed it from this guy. We borrowed $1,000 who'd been from this guy that was in the band he'd been in a really bad motorcycle and had this huge steel rod in his leg and got an insurance settlement so he paid us he paid <laughs> us for you yeah he, he lent us a thousand bucks and i needed mike uh because it was in the fact that mike was so ballsy and so uh i don't know just courageous and 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 un undaunting that it was a, a great backup to have and he'd, he'd do crazier stuff than me so mike was a lot of confidence to have on and i, I felt at least i have somebody on my side because it was a, a to to tackle it individually was just too overwhelming right and so uh and he you know he's so outgoing and and then so we promoted that some bitch and sold that out at Landis, which is a big house. It's like at least 1,500 seats. And so we sold that out, like crazy sold it out. And then from there, it's it's we got some traction. So we just started booking and pulling films together and things like that. Uh, By the so, time I meet you guys, you are – I mean, I actually I, – I went and saw Spike and Mike, I think, on the UC Riverside campus. I was I was only in junior high – when I first heard you guys, my dad took me to see you. Um, I think we picked up one of your flyers in a safe way. And I, right. I it was a picture of this, like, like a gnome stirring a big, Oh yeah. yeah. Of films. A yeah, beautiful right. piece of art just it's from John, that art John alone. Pound. John Pound, I started to interrupt. John Pound, John Pound did that art. He's the guy that did the garbage field kids. Oh, great. Yeah. That that makes sense. Beautiful piece of art, and I, I just oh, immediately yeah. was intrigued, and I was like, "Oh, can I go to this?" So my mom, you know, told my dad, "Oh, you should take Keith." And so it was so funny years later to meet you guys in Sacramento. There's a there's a scientist, Spike and Mike, that the, the life on the road with you guys. I mean, that could be there could be a movie just on that. That was like, I think. <laughs> In the '90s, that was the equivalent for for my generation of joining, running away, and joining the circus. Yeah, yeah. I I got out of town and got to travel all over the country by running away and joining Spike Mike's Festival of Animation. 
Yep. Uh, and it was insane. <laughs> you guys rented us a houseboat in Sausalito when we yeah. did the San Francisco shows. Kind of spoiled me because that was my first show after Sacramento. And I thought, oh, is it always going to be like this? And it most certainly was not. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good sort of analogy to circus and on the road. Ironically, in the movie Almost Famous, there's a scene in there where he's talking to the kid and he goes, this is the circus and nobody wants to go home. Right. And so there it is. It's a different medium, and it's music, and it's rock and roll. But but our shows were rock and roll. The sick, especially the second twisted. That was rock and roll. That is rock and roll. And and how did you guys? Because you were ahead of raves. Oh yeah. When raves got big, I almost thought, oh, they're just promoting like Spike and Mike do. I mean, you guys. You had bright, colorful flyers, and you had kids that were like skateboarders and punk rockers and kids that when they handed you a flyer, you wanted to know what it was about. Like the right kind of people would see that kid and be like, oh, I want to know what this is that he's promoting. Where did that idea come from? Or were those kids originally you guys? (laughs) Uh, Some of it was originally us and the people would hang out at the manor and I think I've always been a different bird ever since I can remember just growing up. I grew up in a lot of countries, so I was exposed to a lot of really extremely different cultures as a boy. You grew up in a lot of different countries. How's that? Was your father military? Military, yeah. Okay. Boy, that's surprising to me because I know that you would rather take your knee out with a sledgehammer than end up going to war. I almost did that to get get out of here. Uh, that's another story, but you, you didn't you didn't take after your uh, your military father, huh? My yeah, my father and my brother were. Oh, my dad was career military. I was born on a military base, and you know I grew up in. Um, they're called SAC bases, Strategic Air Command. Okay, so I'd go from living in Salina, Kansas, which is the plains with snow, and then my dad would come home and go, "Okay, we're going to the Philippines." So it's just wow. Jungle. So I'm outside in this jungle. And then one day my dad comes home and say, we're going to Riverside, which is a different kind of jungle. Then he'd come home and go, okay, now we're going to Morocco, which is desert. So it's extremes like that. But it's just the I've always just been aware of the counterculture in music, film, and things like that. And, you know, the 60s came along, and that was that was glorious because it's like, wow, there's other people that think this way. And it's not just this, here's your script in life and here's what you're supposed to do. And here's, you know, it's like, you know, Pleasant Valley Sunday, like the monkeys, you know, you know, Spike, that's so interesting to me that your dad was the one that introduced you to so many different cultures and so many different parts of the world. But at the same time, what you took from it was a very different worldview than your father's. What did your dad think of, this creative kind of free kid who, who ended up being, you know, Mr. Animation. Yeah, it was hard, especially around the Vietnam time. You know, it was sort of right. like, I just watched the movie, which I think is Tom Cruise's best thing he's ever did, born on the 4th of July. Okay. And I could relate to that so much in living through that time. It's just like, um, you know, I remember um, listening to like Country Joe and the Fish, and who now is like a, a Facebook friend of mine, and, and we trade animation for music. And it's just, <laughs> I, I remember bumper stickers like when there was one like, uh, like Father, like Son, like Hell. Um, there was another like uh, War's Good Business, Invest Your Son. 
Right. And it was such a brutal time. Like in Born the Fourth of July, there's a scene in there where his mother, it's like, oh, it's God's will, Ronnie, that you go. And then he, he comes home and he's, she's more concerned about him saying penis in the house than this. <laughs> and it was almost like a betrayal. You felt betrayed. And you know, my mother is they're really nice. They're basically, she's a really nice person and my dad, but it's old school. And, you know, they're from a land far, far That's away, true. a different generation, man. And, and so I just went the other direction. And when I started seeing all the music and the literature and the film and the happenings and the concerts, I'm like, wow, I found it, found a peer group, you know? Yeah. So, were were like, either of them creative people? Did they, did they paint, draw, write? My, my mother well, my dad, they're collectors. They collected antiques and shit, but my mother did a lot of stuff with her hands and she collected antique, a lot of antique stuff. And so they had a real appreciation for value of, of things like that, you know, and again, out of the depression and different things and not having much money. And then he, he, he did, I don't know, he did like 20, 24 years in the military. Then he went to the post office and, uh, Oh, my dad was a postal guy too. Where it's, uh, so that's, did, that's a did, lot of it. I just, you know, did so, your parents get to see you succeed? Yeah, actually to some degree that I actually got them to come to the shows at Landis auditorium, which was really neat. We had sold out shows. And I remember we had some models there from Wallace and Gromit, I believe oh, wow. maybe, maybe uh, closed Mondays. And I, I would go down to the audience and I'd show them, I'd take them down and show them that. And so, oh, yeah, that's great. my brother too. And, uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of a it's 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 always weird when you're you're on the the other side. It's I don't know. Still to still to this day, I mean, I've never. I remember as a kid watching. You know, I didn't fully understand it, but I, you know, I'm a young boy and I'm watching stuff like um, you know D- James Dean and East of Eden and films like that. I mean, heavy. Sure heavy duty psychological films and storyline and like it was Steinbeck. And, but so then when I'm getting into the animation, uh, it's a art form and counterculture. That's, that's when I, I'm alive to this day. That's, that's where I'm in gear, whether it's comic con or Annecy, that's when I'm alive. Yeah. And, and you love promoting. I, I've never seen anyone have more fun promoting and, and we had a great time promoting, uh, you know, all of us guys that you hired. But uh, when I would go out with you, you were in your element being on yeah. the street, meeting people yeah. just, I mean, you would roast people viciously if they were jerks and then yeah. you just made friends everywhere. Like every town we went to, by the end of it, there was this whole new crew of people following us around because you'd made friends with them out on hate street, passing out flyers or wherever else. Yeah, that was cool. The restaurants, every place they got to know us, and it was. Oh cool. my god! Well, I just remembered walking through North Beach with you, and yeah. I, I felt like I was in The Godfather. The old Italian man comes out, and he, oh Spike, Spike, come in, come in, and he feeds <laughs> us this huge dinner. Just doesn't even ask. Yeah. Just come oh, in. Wow. Just, just, doesn't charge us. He's pouring, you know, wine for me, and <laughs> yeah. Wow, I forgot that was really a special thing. I mean, that was incredible. We, We'd go over. It was really a beautiful compliment. I mean, old school Italian guys right on the corner there in, in North Beach. And we'd go there for years. And we, we'd we work North Beach late because the bars didn't close till 2. So we're on the, we've been all day on Haight Street or on a campus. So we're like 18 hours in. 
And so I'm out there so tired sometimes I'm leaning against light poles just to stand up. Right. And it's raining and shit, and we're there, and the drunks are giving us a hard time, but we're still firing. And I went in there to restock. He always let me leave him on the counter. So I went in there, and he's sitting over there. He's kind of, and he, he goes, hey, come here. I go, oh, what's this guy? And he goes, sit down. I'm going, oh, fuck. And he, <laughs> he's, he's like, uh, he goes, what do, you, what do you want? I go, what do you mean? He goes, dinner, what do you want? What do you drink? And I, I told him some wine and, and uh, it's Italian dinner. And he goes, it's my treat. And I go, why? And he goes, because every year I watch you. I see you out there. And I've never seen anybody work so hard in my life. That's great. And it was like, wow. So oh, that's awesome. Cool. And, and that guy was something else, man. He was a commanding presence. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hey, Kat, you there? I am here. Oh, we're making you sit there and listen uh, so patiently while us old friends reminisce about the yeah. old days. Um, I, I love it. It was like uh, basically the documentary, but you guys are speaking it just now. So right? if, you see the, if you see the documentary, you're going to relive everything you guys just talked about. Well, let's let's get to some things that aren't in the documentary. Uh, so you worked in animation before I making do. this documentary. So you, you're saying you do. You, you still work in I animation. Yes, absolutely. I'm a, a big stop mo stop motion producer. Not big, but I just that's what I do. That's my passion, and uh, I love animation. When did you get started in animation? I got started out of uh, well during um, my time at UC San Diego, which is when I met Spike and Mike. Okay, so it, it is definitely synchro- uh, There's synchronicity there. And what um, what years are we talking about? 1987. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So they were going pretty strong already by then, weren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Big time. I mean, the the La Jolla show was uh, La Jolla Contemporary Art Museum is where they showed and sold out the whole thing every time. Big lines out the out the door. Um, Big guests too. We had um, Mobius and. Oh wow. um, yeah, it's, that was a big draw, bringing in um, animators, um, Bruno Bazzetto, whoever. Yeah, lots of people. Um, but I was just sort of getting into a career of film and sort of was dabbling in um, doing title work, not not actual you know animated shorts. But um, boy, did I get a huge uh, real-life lesson going to the screenings and seeing the actual short animation and meeting the animators and getting uh, really firsthand um, info about how to do it and, and what they were doing, shooting on film and all the levels of hard work. So it was uh, meeting Spike and Mike back in the late 80s was a huge part of um, why I got started in animation. Let me ask you this. I, I know there were a couple of filmmakers that worked with Spike and Mike. Um, you'll probably know her name, like the the woman that did Mona Lisa descending a staircase. What what was Joan Gratz? And what was the name of her film? It wasn't. It, it was Mona Lisa yeah. descending a staircase. Yes. I got, I got yeah. it right. Uh, but I'm wondering how much of a boys' club was it when you first started? Um, actually, I felt there was there wasn't a balance, but there was definitely the female animation directors and animators out there. Um, and then Mike's connection with Marilyn was uh, was pretty cool for me too. She was a great source of uh, support. <laughs> so uh, that was Mike's girlfriend. Um, but yeah, it was uh, there was there was we were out there. There was gals out there for sure. 
so let, let me go back a little bit further. When you were a kid growing up, like what, what was the first animation that you were interested in? Do you remember anything that like stood it out? Was, yeah, it was going to be the, you know, 101 Dalmatians, you know, that sort Great. of Disney stuff for real. It wasn't, um, yeah, I was, it was feature stuff. Not the shorts didn't come around until gosh, when I met these guys, I, I wasn't, I wasn't out there finding these unique, unusual shorts. Right. Um, yeah. But, but did you feel like, okay, all kids loved 101 Dalmatian. Were <laughs> you that kid that had more of an attachment to it? That was like, really just, oh my God, this is, I'm in love. No, because I didn't, I didn't know that that animation would be such a big part of where, where I was headed. It, I was going to do more live action work. So uh, as much as I appreciated animation, it wasn't sort of like, Oh, I, I got to do this. I got to, you know, and, and for one right. thing, I'm not an artist too. I'm more behind the scenes. sort of scheduling, producing, not actual drawing or animating. Were you an artsy fartsy kid in school? Yeah, I guess so. I hate to say that, but <laughs> But, uh, yeah, when we, oh my gosh, I actually was a DJ too at UC uh, San Diego. And that's one of the <laughs> craziest times we met Spike and Mike was, um, you know, they'd come into town and do their promotion and give us tickets and all that fun stuff. But we, the whole water war business that started between the radio station and Spike and Mike was insane. We got so crazy. Well, we ended up, um, uh, organizing a massive uh, water war down at La Jolla Shores, which was about 20 of them, 20 of us. I, mean, I think we had more, but we were doing things like putting dog food and tuna fish in the balloons instead of just water. In, in water balloons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, all, it was just full all out, like just going <laughs> crazy and, and actually tackling each other. I actually tackled Patricia Spike. I don't know if you know that, but I knocked her to the ground and we were like wrestling and fighting and, um, and then the cops came and, their, but their main thing was they broke it up, but they also were just like, make sure to pick up all the balloon debris. They're upset about all the oh, little yeah. of balloon. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun with the, the Spike and Mike gang. We were always, um, you know, even though I worked for them, I was also sort of uh, working for the radio station. So I had to, I had to side at that point. I sided with the radio station. Ah, but, um, big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then just became a box office gal. I mean, they worked me so hard. I, I, I did the box office for many years. And then I, and when I moved up to San Francisco, I was doing the palace of fine arts box office. And I think oh, they just like, the they trusted me. I mean, we're talking cash. We're talking full right. on. No pre-sales, no, you know, MasterCards. People are paying at the door cash. You know, it's so. funny. They, they did. They put a lot of trust in all of us. And I think yeah. because we knew them personally, like none of us would steal from them. Right. But we yeah. all took glee in scamming them a little here and there. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like to take their cash and put it in my pocket? No, I would never do that. Like I wouldn't steal from them. But if I went to the gas station, I would go pay $20. <laughs> and tell the guy fill her up and then say oh can i get a receipt and he would give me a 20 dollar receipt and then right. i would go put 10 dollars in the car <laughs> and then i'd go back and go oh it only took 10 and then he'd give me 10 dollars, but i've got a 20 dollar receipt did you know we did this spike uh yeah i mean i yeah it's 
I, I, I would have done this. I would have done the same thing. Well, I think that's why we didn't feel bad about it. But we would never like all of us handled your money. I mean, all of right. us at different times had either merchandise money or you know, and we wouldn't we wouldn't steal from you. You didn't. You, right. you trusted us not to. But yeah. man, would we scam you? We <laughs> wherever we could. Little not Nicholas, me. Spike, not, not me, not me. I'm not honest, cat. Um, but I do have this, I have to say this memory of, well, many times where Spike just, um, you know, at a restaurant and he's digging in all his pockets and out's coming like $100, crumpled up $100. Oh candles. my God, Spike and his money. <laughs> he never put his money in his freaking wallet. It was always falling out of every pocket. Oh my God. So, so me many and my, pockets of money. Me and my little brother collected the bills that Spike dropped for <laughs> good two weeks once. I don't even remember what town we were in, but me and my little brother James both worked for Spike and we're, we're collecting the money. And at the end of the run, we presented it to Spike as a gift. And I'm not kidding you. It was significant. It was like five or 600 bucks. And we're like, Spike, we, we want you to have this. And he's like, what? Why are you guys giving me money? Like, you don't give me money. I'm like, it's your money, asshole. <laughs> like, you have been dropping this on the sidewalk, uh, you know, under your chair at the restaurant. Like, this is how much money you just lose uh, per oh run, God, you moron. Like, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, I'll say another, as long as we're, we're praising sort of Spike here. Spike Spike gave us nicknames. We'll get to that. Spike mm-hmm. would pick on us. Spike loved a prank. Unlike some bosses I've worked for, Spike, you could always take it as well as you could dish it out. All right. Oh. There you the go. Time that I told everybody the story about you eating cat shit, you you, <laughs> you weren't happy, but you didn't. You sat there and took it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. I think we called you shit eater for the rest of that run. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, Kat, I, I want to go back to you're interested in live action film. You're studying film. I, I'm still. I'm trying to get to like that magic moment where you're like yeah. animation. Do, do you know? Is there a moment you can think of? Yeah, I was up in San Francisco working on um, a Bobby McFerrin video, not his happy one. It was a different okay. one. Um, and I was had been working with the same crew for maybe two or two videos or something. And um, Jill Rizika came up to me. She goes, ah, you know, there's this film coming into town and um, it's a long term. And at that time, everyone liked to work on the short three-month job. So um, she goes, it's long term. Um it's animation. It's all going to be stop motion animation. And she's like, I don't know if you want to work on it, but I'm going to work on it. I'd like you to come with me. And that was uh, nightmare before Christmas. So okay, Tim Burton. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, okay, this is, this is where I want to be. Um, just knowing that it was Tim Burton and, uh, and then it, Henry Selick is the director of it. And just having all this local, all these people I knew so a couple other people that I knew, coming on to the project too so it, it it was a great opportunity and it has been continues to be um a big launching point for my stop motion career that's great and there's some wonderful stop motion in the documentary oh yes yeah thank you i that that's done all locally my uh, tim hiddle did the animation on that and i, I purposely didn't show spike the puppet for a long time because you know it's a caricature in uh Right. He's kind of he's kind of got a round body, and I was like, "Oh God, Spike's not going to like this." But it it was really clever for for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so. How, so, how did you feel when you saw it, Spike? Uh yeah, I didn't. It wasn't my favorite. 
<laughs> you know, it it actually surprises me because you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about when I was a kid and you didn't hear your voice recorded the way people now hear their voice recorded all the time. Mm-hmm. It was a novelty. And the first time you heard your voice recorded, you always thought, oh, I don't, I don't sound like that. And, yeah, and yeah. That's, a, that's a dated phenomenon. We don't we don't really have that anymore because everybody hears the voice recorded all the time. I would think it would be the same with you with being caricatured all the time. You have been painted and drawn and animated by so many people. I wouldn't think any representation of you could strike you as, you know, unflattering or. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this one was not- yeah, it's on the big screen. So it's kind of different you know, when you watch it in the. You know. Okay. But I did borrow from Nick. Oh, thank! I borrowed from Nick Park in, in that I just got Spike in a room and just said, ask some questions and had him talk. It was more of a conversation. So, uh, and th- and then we animate, you know, cut it down to a certain amount and kind of made sure we put in the animated part what we what was great to hear. And then um, then I animated to that. So it was uh, it was that borrowing from Creature Comforts. And it I'm has thinking. that same feel as Creature Comforts because. Yeah. It, it wasn't a piece of audio where you felt like Spike was do, was taping a commercial or, you know, knew mm-hmm. that he was. It, it, it sounded very conversational and kind oh, of cool. kind of mellow and, and droll, you know. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, he tells the story about not wanting to wake up early. And uh, it, it's kind of dramatic in the sense of the way it ends where he's like, and, and I don't want to do this until I'm not going to do this until the day I die type thing. and. It's right. very dramatic, but um, I do I do like the animation. And Scotty's in there. You got to have Scotty. Yeah. So so here's the one thing your uh, your documentary may have missed: the dark side. Yeah, yeah. Working, working for Spike and Mike could be really trying. Mm-hmm. We used to call having to be Spike's driver, um, riding bitch. That was the name <laughs> of that position. Yeah, uh, either I, I that didn't or just that being, being Spike's bitch was the <laughs> other name for it. And uh, yeah, it it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what were what were some of your most difficult moments when you really? were actually working for Spike and Mike? Oh gosh, I don't know. You know, um, because I was one of the more sort of temporary and like only work maybe a couple. I wasn't with them every day. I think I got away with a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have that sort of weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. It was more like, oh, I'm going to work for you on the weekend. Yay. Right, right. Spike, do you remember you and I getting in a, in a fight in San Francisco when I left you there? Uh, no, I remember some arguments. Uh, oh, man, I got so mad. In Sacramento, my home isn't that far from San Francisco. I just set the keys on the table. I said, find your own ride home. And I walked out the door. Oh, man. And, uh, and then Spike, of course, having to prove that he doesn't need me. You had uh, Frank's brother there within an hour taking care yeah. of you. I was like, you son of a bitch. Like, I wanted to leave you stranded. <laughs> uh, we were, uh, I remember getting out of, uh, we were there in Santa Cruz in 89 downtown when the earthquake hit, the big earthquake. Mm-hmm. That was pretty intense. We had to get out of there. there all the roads were closed. I remember being in Santa Cruz with you a few years after that. And standing yeah. on the street, and you just pointing at places where you watched, like buildings fall down. And- yeah, I saw people buried alive and killed, and I saw you know it was so intense. 
you know, that thing was crazy. We were, the hotels we were at, everybody drugged the beds outside and slept in the parking lots. It was so intense. Mm-hmm. And it took, it took forever for Santa Cruz to rebuild. Yeah. yeah I, I would go there years later and parts of it still looked like a war zone. It was wild. Yeah. So that was another thing we did. You know so, what's crazy about that too is we um, I went down the night before that earthquake with Paul and Lisa Pine who also worked for you guys, and we hung out with you and, and had some fun and had dinner with you and then the oh, next wow. day, yeah the next day was earthquake so we got out of there before but that's one of those things I always remember we were there the night before. We we had a show that that night which yeah. obviously didn't didn't go off because there's no, no power and everything in this at the Loudon Nelson Center in Santa Cruz. And years later, the guy that ran it said that night, like five people showed up and like, we're here to see the show. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> There's like gas leaks and fires and shit. They're like, they're like fuck, we're, we're going to go to this sick and twisted thing. That's hilarious. What is, uh, what is Spike's nickname for you, Kat? I've got a couple, but he calls me uh, Irish Torporama is the long version, but Irish tea, which I like. It's kind of <laughs> kind of a nice one. But early on, he um, when we were working in Berkeley, he called me Little Drummer Boy. I had a really short short haircut. Ah. And, um, he would get he. I would be on on the other side of the street at the you know outside the Wheeler Gate or whatever that gate is there, and. Um, he would tell people, he would give them a flyer and say, give it back to her and say, this is from Spike to the little drummer boy. And so total strangers are coming up to me saying, <laughs> hey, drummer boy. <laughs> so, um, so the next year when I worked for them, I wrote a contract and I said, I'll work for you for, you know, $10 an hour, whatever it was. Uh, you give me lunch and you can't call me little drummer boy. Oh, wow. And did it, did he uh, adhere to it? Did yeah. Yeah. I think, well, Mike signed that one, but uh, yeah, he didn't. <laughs> so Irish Tripperama is mine. I like yeah. it. I had a few. I was, uh, I was Ritalin. Um, mm. That was probably my favorite one. Uh, <laughs> but the one that stuck was just Gen C. Yeah. And then we had uh, Stick Boy, and then Stick Boy Patrick dyed his yeah. hair blue, and he became blue hair. My little brother was Baby Huey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why doesn't we given everyone a nickname, Spike? Oh, it's, uh, it's um, I don't know. You know, it's just something that comes natural. It's easy to remember who they are, and it's just you look. Not everybody gets one. Only the chosen few. You know. Ooh. You okay. have to look for a certain characteristic in people, too. I think, too, when I was in the band, that's where I got the name Spike. So all of us in the band had nicknames for stage names. So it started kind of started there, too, in the band, because that's where I got Spike from. My wife is just the woman. Spike will not say her name. <laughs> oh. how's, how's the woman? <laughs> well, that makes sense that we're part of a band. We were part of the Spike and Mike band, so we'd have a nickname. That makes sense. Right. So, Kat, I'm wondering what made you to two two part question. What made you decide to make this documentary? And, and what made you think that you could? Were you aware of the other failed attempts at making a documentary on these loons? Not, not a, I wasn't aware of the other ones until I actually started working on this one. And then okay. there was some footage that I actually use. Marv Newland's footage um, in the paddle boat on in Annecy is uh, from a different documentary that I oh, great. borrowed from. 
but yeah, I, um, Spike did one of those, you know, I was in town and I met him at Cha 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 on Haight street in San Francisco. And he's, we're chatting away and he's talking about people coming up to him, wanting to do documentary and gosh, you know, these guys don't even know about animation. And I don't think he was trying to trigger me. Maybe you were Spike, but it, it got me thinking I was driving home that night. I thought, why would, why would a total stranger who never worked for them try to even attempt something like this where I, in, and I work in animation. So I kind of, it was a, for me, I went, okay, this is going to, I got to do this and I don't want someone else to try it and fail. And, um, I know how hard it is to work with Spike sometimes. So I thought I'd be, I'm kind of a good buffer. Like I can, I'll deal with him. Okay. That's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> Give us the dirt. Why is it difficult I, to work with well, Spike? Well, well, I'll get to that side, but I don't think other <laughs> people trying to do a documentary would have gotten Spike bike to do some of the things that I got him to do because he knew me. So uh, yeah. well, that's it. It's, you, you have a special something that is beyond just being a filmmaker that allowed you to yeah. deal with spike. Well, you can, trust, you, you, can trust her. you can trust her. I mean, that's the, the bottom line is that being able to trust somebody, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I don't, I can get, I won't, get into all the things, but just, just timing spikes terrible at like showing up on time. And I'm like, Oh my God, we have a recording and I'm going to have to have them here to do the recording and be there, you know, to be on stage and in front of a camera. So some of that was a bit nerve wracking because I knew it's hard for spike to stay on time or, or if you, it, it's almost like you dig your heels in spike. When someone says you have to be here at three o'clock, he, he doesn't uh, want to be told what to do. Oh, I used to have to get him to morning radio shows. So yeah. No morning. No, I didn't do any schedule, anything. In the right. Morning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I just thought I, I'd be a good person for him to also uh, feel comfortable with. Like you said, he trusted me. So I, I got some things out of him that I don't think other people would have. So, um, and then just timing was good for me. Money wise. It's all funded by my, my own, dough and um it's not the greatest reason why i came into money but my husband passed away and i inherited or as a spouse got some um insurance money and i that's what i used to make this film so Uh, i'm um, sorry to hear that but that's a lovely tribute yeah he i mean paul would have definitely been a big fan of this you know he he really got along with spike very well they had a that you know that sort of dirty kind of wit stuff going on um humor so um yeah it it was it was timing um meeting spike not just a few months after paul passed um and then thinking okay this is a project i want to put everything into so i did right hey was it was it his brother or we took we were flying at uh uc sd and we we taped we duct taped a guy in between classes to a chair well, it was either Paul or his brother and then we left him out there on the walkway uh, it was probably, it was he doesn't have a brother so it was one of the it was one of the radio station people it was probably Todd Ellis maybe okay all right yeah we left we left him out there duct taped to the to the wheel a chair that had done a wheelchair but a chair with the wheels on a desk of course you did that's why we fought back and 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 almost beat you in the water war <laughs> It was hilarious. Um, Kat, so this is your first film where you are the 
the, the primary force behind it. What, what's the word we use? Producer, director, both? Producer, both. Yeah. And yeah. has this whetted your appetite or has it satisfied you? Are we going to see you doing more of this? Um, right now, I'm just so focused on another feature, a stop motion feature, and I'm do, producing that. So uh, as, as a director, I definitely think there's there could be another another chapter of uh, for me to do something in the documentary film world. So I think that's kind of my cup of tea yeah. um, outside of outside of animation. But um you know, stop motion takes a long time, so I'll be uh, busy for a couple of years. Um, I, I love that it's still happening. And then, you know, thank you yeah. and everyone else who's still doing it. And it's such an awesome art form. It's pretty hot right now. I mean, we've got a couple of studios up in the Oregon area. Los Angeles is booming. Actually, resources are pretty tight because there's so much stop motion. That's great. Studio. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, the project I'm doing, The Inventor, is... Um, Jim Campobianco, who he wrote Ratatouille, he's, uh, okay. we're, we're actually doing kind of an international based one where, where our companies are, uh, it's a French company who's doing stop motion. Um, partly are just you, because that's how we fund it. That's the way it's getting funded is sort of a European based funding. Right. So it was like, okay, let's keep the dollars over here. So. And are you guys able to work during the pandemic? Yeah, we're in development right now, so it's okay. pretty small. We've got artists working out of their own homes right now, so we're not animating yet. I thought Pinkova did uh, Ratatouille. Jim wrote it. Okay. Yeah, he wrote it. Well, because Brad Bird and Pinkova. Yeah, yeah, they directed. So okay, Jim okay. is a story. So I, wow. I, I, it was so funny. When, when you interviewed me for the film, and I oh, was super... Favorite film, favorite animated Oh, oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. When Cat, when you invited me to come be interviewed for the documentary, I was super excited and flattered to be included. Uh, it was so funny because I hadn't seen Spike in a few years. Right. Right. And the minute I showed up, it was like we were just getting together to go pass out some flyers again. I mean, mm. and the funniest thing to me was when I finished the interview, I'm ready to get in my car and, and head home. And Spike says, Hey, did you, did you see the craft service urgency? <laughs> and, uh, no, I didn't, I didn't peruse that. He's like, come on, come on. And he takes me over and he starts stuffing granola bars in my pockets and <laughs> finding other pockets to put cans of Coke. I'm like, Spike, you're raining. Like, <laughs> it just cracked me up that after all those years, the guy that I had raided so many hotel lobby you know, <laughs> courtesy bars with it's still the same dude still like you're not leaving without your pockets full of candy bars and coke cans <laughs> like, oh, my daughter was like where the heck are you coming from were you training yeah we always you gotta admit jency we always treated you guys good on food and lunches and stuff oh yeah we, we did great um let me, let me, I, there's one question that I've been wanting to ask you for years, Spike, and I'm going to close out on this one. Uh, when we were working in San Francisco, uh, <laughs> I was assigned to be Spike's bitch. So I was uh, spending all my time with you. Oh, man. And at the end of the day, I would drive you back to your, you put us in pretty nice places, but you yeah. stayed in a nicer place. Uh, oh. 
So I'm dropping you off, and you would say to me, you would drill me on the way back, Jensi, put the car in the garage. And I go, of course I'm going to put the car in the garage. And you'd go, don't drive to Sacramento. And I say, just Spike, I'm not going to drive to Sacramento. It's like, you know, 11 o'clock at night. Put it in the garage. I'd say, okay, Spike, I'll put it in the garage. And then you would say, I'm going to talk to the guy. I'm going to ask him if it was in the garage. And I said, okay, ask him. And then you would say, I'm checking the odometer. And I would say, Spike, fine, check the odometer. And then you'd say, okay, you're putting it in the garage? And I go, yeah, Spike, I'm going to put the car in the garage. And then I would drop you off and I would immediately get on the freeway and drive to Sacramento. (laughs) And I would, because I could sleep in, you know, my girlfriend's bed, which was much nicer than even the hotel that you rented us. And then I would race back, like you said, you slept in. So that was nice. But I would race back and then put it in the garage for maybe an hour or so. So that I could at least be coming from the garage when I picked you up. And I've always wondered. And then the next night, you would do it all over again. Gen C put the car in the garage. Did you know that I was going home to Sacramento every night? Well, I assumed you guys were doing all this stuff. That's why I was so animate about it. You know, I mean, it's just like, (laughs) you know, don't go drink or don't do this. And then you're like, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean... I, Why I did you never actually ask the garage guy or ever actually write down the odometer? I mean, you never caught me despite all your opportunities. I don't know. I mean, it's there's so much going on. I mean, that's the other, <laughs> the other thing I think I wanted it's just to bring, like such a dumb game. I love it. To, I wanted to bring that up because I, I think a lot of people didn't understand this. There was um, oh the magnitude of what we did. Uh, the intensity of, of the hours we put in, uh, it was a nice compliment. Bob Kurtz said something in one of the interviews. He said what they did took a lot of courage. And I'm like, wow, it was really nice of him to recognize that. And a lot of people miss that in that, uh, one, you had to put anything you owned in the world. Like you do one show at RCC. So finally you have a little bit of money. And it's like, um, it's like Jerry Beck's quote, you know, Spike and Mike came from nowhere with nothing and created a market where none existed. And so that's, that's goddamn true. And so I'd make a little bit of money in Atlantis. I go, wow, we got some money. Okay. Now we're going to do, do a show at, uh, in Fullerton or in, uh, you know, some, some other city. Um, and that's really hard because you take everything you own in the world and then you have to gamble it out on the next city. And that's right. why, why also, because everything you got is on the table every time, every time. And we had no sponsors and no rich parents or nothing. And so that, and then the fact that you're driven to work, um, you know, you guys, we we do double shifts. Like I, you know, so you somebody get off and then I'd work the night shift with somebody. So we're doing, and Mike too, Mike was brilliant at the movie lines and we're doing like 18 hour goddamn days, you know, where you're going on hate street all day, all day long. And then you break on, but it's still exhausting and going, you you break for dinner and then you're doing the palace. Then you're doing the regular show. Then at the midnight, you got to start the midnight show. And then you're going, it's over at two and then you're an hour to close down, so you're back at the hotel at three thirty in the morning. Unless we were at an after party or a late, right. you or, know, because or, we were so amped, you don't want to go to sleep. You're, right. you're so hyped up. Yeah, you couldn't. yeah the, or twenty four hour restaurant stuff. I remember we were staying at the at the uh, like the Phoenix Hotel and shit, and there was no parking, and because the bands would stay there, and so the 
the parking lots full of the buses. And so we'd have to park in the uh, tenderloin. And I remember I'd get, like, intentionally, I'd get, like, as hardcore looking as I cut, like leather gloves and boots and jacket and wraparound shades and knit cap. Right. I'd, have, I'd have this bank bag stuffed down my jacket, you know, and I'm just like, I'm walking through there. And I mean, I just. The hulking giant. Super, super hardcore image. And I'm, because these guys are in there and I'm, I got all this, this friggin' locked bank bags of cash on me. I mean, amount of money people would kill you for. Right. And, and I'm sitting there going like, I can see walking through and you see them sizing you up. And it's kind of like, they're going like, you know, these guys are predators and they're like, they're going, do you want to go for the rhino or the gazelle? The rhino or the gazelle? I think I'll go with the gazelle. And so you put that out there and right. it, worked, it worked every time. And so there's just little things like that that you learn just to survive and, and little stories. But the, the hours, like I say, the, the gruelingness of it like that, not having sponsors or anything and then going there to do do those and, and mike was a master of that you know he'd go okay now those shows are over let's go leaflet the midnight shows okay let's do the bars so right it was uh i mean one, one of the last thing i remember it was so crazy the palace of fine arts which it's a big house you know and it had that huge lobby and we doing i remember what we ran there once for uh probably at least a month and a half we did uh, probably eighteen thousand people through there and you're selling out your first seven o'clock show. You sold out the nine thirty, and then you got the midnight. The first show's still in there. The second show's waiting to come in, so the lobby's full. Then you got to close off the doors because the midnight show's starting to roll, pull in. And I went to this side room once there with this. They had this old chair in there, and just like gathering myself because I'm thinking it's so surreal, it's so bizarre. If if Mike and I just walked out the door right now and got in a cab and went over to a bar in North Beach, it'd be on the news and there'd be mayhem. Right. And, and so it's... You guys it's, were holding together a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, it's crazy like that because literally thousands upon thousands of people. And so it's just stuff like that, but it, it's, it's crazy, you know? One of my favorite memories, again, to just paint a picture of how bizarre your job was this job that you created. Yeah. <laughs> you took a few bucks, I don't know, 30 or 40 bucks. You gave it to my little brother. You said, James, go grab a bag of weed. <laughs> then you gave me some money. You said, Jensie, go get, I, I, you probably told James, you probably called him baby Huey, baby Huey, right. go, go grab some, some weed. Right. You told me, go grab a bunch of pizzas and then told us, invite all your little scumbag friends over. I want skaters and ravers. So you, wherever we were at the time, you know, you'd rented like a corporate apartment. So it's got like a living room and everything. Right, right. And all these like, you know, between like 18 and 21 year olds are just all sitting on the floor eating pizza that you bought. They've all gotten high off of weed that you bought. And you were like, all right, now I've got the sick and twisted audience. And you just played a whole series of films and sat down there and took notes on which ones they laughed at and which ones they didn't. And, you know, at one point, the kids are throwing pizza crust at the screen because the yeah, film yeah. on sucked. <laughs> You're like, all right, that one's out. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the best behind the scenes I've ever seen. Like, what a, what a focus group. <laughs> Bring me your scumbags. <laughs> Yeah, the diversity, when you walk the lines, I mean, you know well when you'd walk the lines out there, like at the crest or the, the palace, and you walk in that line, and you're everything from fucking 
yuppies to students to professors to bikers to punk rockers to artists and artists everything it's like wow the diversity of it is really exciting so spike uh where should people go if they want to uh find out more about spike mike where's spike mike's home online these days i just watched the documentary we have a, <laughs> we have a book out too it came out some years ago called uh uh, Outlaw Animation. It's a really great book from Abrams. That's that's a really good book. They okay. did all this, which is really nice. And very then, cool. I, I would love to own a copy of that. I'll, I'll get that myself. I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really great. Jerry Beck um, penned it, and then in the back, it's got all the, like pictures of the flyers. I use it as reference a lot. And uh, and Cat, uh, where can people go to find out more about the film or about you yeah. and your other projects? Yeah, the website, animationoutlaws.com. Um, that's a great source. And then um, I've got I've got everything. I've got the Twitter, Facebook. Um, it's all out, Animation Outlaws. Um, Animation Outlaws, got it. Yeah. But also check out my podcast, my podcast, The We Know Jack Show, about Nightmare Before Christmas, please. That's a, that I'm interviewing behind the scenes and interviewing crew. So we get behind the scenes. You know, that's great. We had, um, we had Greg Proops on, uh, a few few episodes past and he talked about, uh, nightmare before Christmas live and that they were getting ready to stage that when the pandemic hit. Right. Yeah. Cause he was a voice. Yep. Um, I, I really hope that that, that I have a chance to see that, you know, mm. can get this get this pandemic out of the way because Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas Live sounds amazing. Yeah, could be. <laughs> well, thank, thank both of you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, I have been your host, Keith Lowell Jensen. My producer is Joe Honor, and the art for our podcast was also done by Joe Honor. Our editor and audio engineer is Jack Matrenga. Joe and Jack are both with Hyperpixel. Hyperpixel is a production company with a focus on digital marketing and e-commerce, offering daily management of your website, social media accounts, and digital marketing campaigns. Uh, the music for our show is done by DJ Real, and uh, please. Follow me on uh, the various socials at Keith Lowell and follow KLJ podcast on Twitter and Instagram and all the rest. And uh, do us a huge favor and subscribe and review. That is our lifeblood. That is the thing that will keep us going. And remember to check out our sponsor uh, over at Clash Books. That's clashbooks.com. Join us next week when my guest will be Greg Mania talking about his new book, Born to be Public, which uh, has been raved about by Oprah Winfrey, has been recommended by NPR, is uh, just really taking off and doing great things. So I'm looking forward to that chat. Mwah. 